Hello and welcome to the What The Heck podcast. I'm your host, Glenn. Every week I explore something unexplained, talk about what it is and look at what else it could possibly be. Research is done as academically as possible and references will be given after the stories. This first week, there's an episode every day. Today's episode is about a tribe of people in Mali, West Africa. Google gives them three different names, but I'll refer to them as the Dogon people. In Mali, just south of the bend of the Niger River, live a tribe of people called the Dogon. They live in the Hombori Mountains, well away from cities. Physically, nothing distinguishes them from anybody else. Spiritually, though, they, and other tribes in the area, keep knowledge of something. For hundreds of years, they have had knowledge of a star that can't be seen by the naked eye. The star in question is Sirius B, which is very faint compared to Sirius A. In 1844, Western astronomers noticed some odd irregularities in Sirius A's movements. To account for them, the astronomers believed that there must have been an as-yet-unseen object causing some gravitational pull on the star. The second object was faintly glimpsed in 1862, but seemed too small to be exerting that much force on such a large star. Sirius A is twice the size of our sun, and about 20 times as bright. A small star shouldn't have that much force to it, right? Well, actually they can. Sirius B is a white dwarf star. Although small, it's incredibly dense, and certainly heavy enough to cause the kind of gravitational pull needed to affect Sirius A. The Dogon people knew about it without having any telescopes or anything. When they revealed their secrets to French anthropologists in the 1930s and 40s, they said that the information had been given to them by unearthly visitors. The Dogon call Sirius B Potolo, which is a combination of the word for the smallest seed they know and star. Along with knowing that it's a small star, they also told the anthropologists that it was a heavy star, saying that all earthly beings combined cannot lift it. They also had knowledge that it was white. All three of those pieces of information connect to describe a white dwarf. Small, white and heavy. But that's not all the information they had. They went on to say that the orbit of the star is elliptical or egg-shaped, with Sirius A at one end, and that its orbit was 50 years, with the star spinning on its own axis. The orbit and axis part were correct, and they were very close with the orbit, which is just over 50 years. The Dogon also talk of a third star in the Sirius system, called Emma Yar. In the orbit of Emma Yar, there is supposed to be a single satellite. However, this star is still yet to be seen by astronomers, so we don't even know if it's there. In the Dogon creation story, Sirius B was the first star that God made, and it is the centre of the universe. 
From that star, all matter and all souls are produced in a spiral movement. The souls gravitate from Sirius B to Emma Yar before leaving for their final destination. Other notable things that the Dogon know from their astronomical lore is that Saturn has rings and that Jupiter has four major moons. They also have four calendars, one for the Sun, one for the Moon, one for Venus and one for Sirius, and have known that planets orbit the Sun for some time. Where did this knowledge come from? The Dogon say that the knowledge was given to them by people called the Nomos, who were amphibious beings from the Sirius star system. They had been sent to Earth to help humankind with their knowledge. They came to Earth and landed somewhere northeast of the Dogon's home. At the time they landed, a new star was seen in the sky. The ship ended up inside a large container that filled with water so the Nomos could live. Dogon art shows that they are more fish-like than humans and can only live in the water. One Nomo... <clears throat> One Nomo divided his body up among the Dogon, giving them his life principles. He was crucified and resurrected, and will visit Earth again in the future in a human form. After that, he will return to his amphibious form and rule the world from the water. The stories of the Nomos aren't the only ones. Babylonian stories speak of creatures called Oannes, who were also amphibious and said to have landed in the Red Sea. They were said to have the body of a fish with two heads. The upper head was a fish head and the lower head was that of a human. The lower head was attached to the tail somehow. The Oannes taught the Babylonians a lot of things, but only during the day. At night, they would drop back into the ocean and sleep there. Saint Photius, Patriarch of Constantinople, now Istanbul, also recounted that there was a man named Oe, who came from the Red Sea with the body of a fish. Although wanders if he looked that way because he was wearing the skin of a fish. It's possible that the Nomos and the Oannes are the same creatures, and the stories are two versions of the same event. The Dogon insists that they haven't always lived where they do now, and evidence does suggest that they migrated south from Libya in the 1st and 2nd centuries, becoming fully established by the 11th century. If the Dogon did migrate south, then the Oannes and the Nomos are feasibly the same creature. However, the Dogon are the ones to still talk about Sirius B. The Egyptians had contact with Babylonian culture, but they only held high regard for Sirius A because it helped them predict floods on the Nile. It's likely that, because of that tenuous link, that the Babylonians and the Dogon are actually describing two similar events in separate places. The next thing to look at is whether the Sirius cluster is hospitable at all. Ian Ridpath, in an article from 2002, takes a look at how plausible it is for advanced life to exist there. 
He believes that Series A and Series B were once the opposites of each other, with B being the larger of the two before reaching its white dwarf stage. He then says that a star of Series B's original size has about 1,000 million years before it hits the red giant stage of life, which would unlikely be long enough for civilization to advance enough. If it had, the red giant stage would have destroyed that. The red giant stage happens before the white dwarf stage, and during that time, the star releases massive energy and gases. Sirius B also exerts X-rays now, which would also make life in the cluster quite unpleasant. Add to that the fact that the planets in the region with water on them are quite unstable, and it would be unlikely that any amphibious beings would live in the Sirius cluster. The other confusing part of this is the third star, Emiyar. It still hasn't been seen by any telescope. However, Ridpath explains this quite well. The Dogon, while explaining to the French anthropologists, had drawn a diagram of the stars. Emiyar is a figurative star, the female counterpart to Sirius B. It was interpreted as a literal star by the anthropologists who amended the diagram to remove all but Sirius A and B. So, although there's no evidence to suggest that Emma Yar is out there, it's entirely possible that it wasn't meant to be a real star in the first place. Once again, I found myself stuck. There's no evidence that specifically leans towards either side of this argument. If the Nomos aren't real, how did the Dogon know about a star for hundreds of years before telescopes could even perceive it? And if they didn't exist, how are there two stories of similar entities from two separate peoples from two separate places? Once again, I found another story I can't solve. The story from today's episode came from the 1982 Reader's Digest book, Mysteries of the Unexplained, pages 49 to 52. The theories came from an article in Skeptical Inquirer, reproduced in 2002, called Investigating the Serious Mystery. References for the episode and links to studies will be posted on social media for you to have a look at. Speaking of social media, you can currently find me on Facebook at What The Heck Mystery Podcast, Instagram at WT Heck Podcast, and you can also support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash What The Heck Podcast. Currently, there are no tiers to the Patreon, but once the ball starts rolling, there will be tiers with extra special things for you. I've also set up an email address, whattheheckpod3 at gmail.com. I'd like you to send in your stories of the unexplained so I can read them out in secondary episodes. But if you have any issues with my phrasing or think some of the things that I've said are insensitive, please don't be afraid to let me know and I'll address them in episodes as I record them. Thanks for listening and I'll see you for the next episode.